up, church? You feeling good? You sound good. What's up, Littleton, Lakewood, Arvada? Can we make some noise for Brussels, Belgium? Brussels, we love you. Austin, Texas, we love you. And both men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses, you are family. We're glad we're with you today. And we believe in you. We love you. All right, everybody, have a seat. You feeling good? Man, I believe it. I don't know what location you're at, but Littleton is hot today. Hot. Some of you are like, huh, all right. Got any first-time visitors in the house today? Oh, what's up? Welcome to all of you. We're so glad that you're here. We like to have a good time. So welcome to the chaos. What you'll find if you keep coming back is we're just a bunch of imperfect, messed up people, but we love to get together and pursue a perfect God. And so no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've been through, no matter how you think things are going right now, we want you to know no matter what, we're so glad you're here. We want you to feel welcomed and loved and valued. And so welcome to Red Rocks Church and welcome home. Um, I was at a, uh, I was at a wedding recently and a whole bunch of things happened that kind of threw me off. Um, first off it was Eric's daughter. So Eric James Parks, one of the directors and leaders here at the church, one of my best friends on this planet, his daughter, Daily Ray Parks just got married. In fact, can we make some noise for Daly and Taylor? We love you guys. Congratulations. Beautiful wedding. I did not like a lot of things that happened. Not that they did, that I just sort of felt. Um, first off, there was, a, there was a point when we were at the reception, and Scott and Lori, you know what I'm talking about. We were all standing together, and it was me and Jill and Scott and Lori and Chad and Rachel and uh, BZ and Kelly, and we're all standing there talking, and all of a sudden it hit us. We realized who we were at the wedding. And we realized that the bride and groom were over here talking with their friends. And if it came up, like, who's that group over there? It went like this. Oh, that's some of my parents' friends. <laughs> what? How old do you got to be to be a parent's friend at a wedding? I was like, how did this happen? I'm one of the parents' friends. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that Daly is getting married. I'm happy for you, Dales. But... I babysat daily before she could walk and talk. Like, I was newly saved, barely sober, but Eric and Chrissy let me move into their apartment, and they had this new baby named Daly. And one day they left and said, Sean, you watch her. Now, the fact that it didn't go smoothly, I think is on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, pay more attention who you leave your kids with. So I don't know what I'm doing with this baby. And so I call this girl that I was dating named Jill. And I said, will you come over and help me? If you're new, Jill is now my wife. It worked out. But we don't know what to do. And I, we, I remember this day like it was yesterday because we put the baby, we put Daly up on the kitchen table and then she fell off <laughs> on her head. Didn't even cry. I'm like, oh, she's messed up. <laughs> like we broke her. And Jill's like, should we tell Eric and Chrissy? And I was like, no, we're not telling Eric and Chrissy. And we didn't. I didn't tell him till Daly was a 4.0 high school student. 
And then I was like, ah, it worked out. Everything's fine. I can tell you guys now. So the fact that Daly's getting married and I'm one of the parents' friends, like the whole thing was weird. They told us to put our phones away, but of course you never listen to that announcement. And as Daly and Eric were walking up, I got this picture. Look at that. Isn't that great? And Eric, I mean, I don't know what's going on in his mind right there. I, I, you, I never do, though, because Eric, like, he runs the finances at the church and oversees the creative department. So, like, there's chaos in his mind already. Like, who does both of those? You know what I mean? So he's, he's doing the father of the bride speech, which, Scott, you're just about to do. Drew and Casey, what's up? So... He's doing the father of the bride speech. Drew and Casey are going to make me friends of the parents at another wedding here in a minute. And uh, amen. And so he brings out these pictures that Daly painted when she was a child of him. And we're all kind of laughing. And he's, he notices that we're all laughing. And so he's like, hey, whoa, these don't actually resemble me. They're inaccurate, just so you know. And we're kind of like, eh. <laughs> But I got to thinking about us and our relationship with God the Father. And I started wondering, how many of us, if we were to paint a picture of our Heavenly Father right now, if we have an inaccurate picture of the Father in our mind, and I wonder if that's the case, what sort of collateral damage it's causing in our lives. Because it's very possible as children to have inaccurate pictures of the Father. Isn't that true? In our mind. In fact, a counselor slash friend of mine just challenged me on this recently. I was talking to him about all my defects or a chunk of them. We just sort of take them in slices. And, and I have many. And we were talking to him about things like fear and worry and anxiety and depression and insecurities. And the fact that sometimes people that I've never met before, just because they have an opinion and a social media account, actually have some sort of, I've given them some sort of power in my life to affect my emotions. And I know you've never done anything like that. So, so he's talking about these, these defects. And he asked me this question out of the blue. He goes, if you were to paint a picture of God, what would it look like? And I was like, stick figure, because that's all I got. And he's like, no, if, if you could paint, and you were to paint a picture of God, what would it look like? And of course, I started to picture Conrad, the campus pastor here at Littleton, and uh, in a white gown with a purple sash. You know it's true. I see you now when I pray. And uh, <laughs> he goes, that's so wrong. Um, but no, I said, I said, you know, yeah, he, he, would be, he would be muscular and he would have long flowing hair. I don't know why he just would. And, and I said, but... I picture him like back on his heels with his arms crossed with this look on his face like, like I'm a, I'm a little bit frustrated and fed up. That's just, I was just being honest. He's like, what do you think he thinks about you? And I said, I, disappointed sometimes, um, impatient, frustrated, sort of this like, how many chances do you need you, you've been doing this for this long and you still struggle with X, Y, and Z. 
And that's just how I started. I was just telling him, like, that's just the picture I have in my mind sometimes. And he said, see, that's your problem. You have an inaccurate picture of the father in your mind, and that it's causing collateral damage in all these other areas. Because if you understood who the father is, if you understood, and then he called me out on what I do for a living. He goes, you preach a mean game about God's grace and mercy and unconditional love. You just don't receive it very well. And he goes, why is that? And I was like, well... I go, because when I do something that I know I shouldn't have or act in a way I know I shouldn't have, I think like, and you're a pastor. You should be better than that. And he goes, well, and this would be a good exercise for you because see, the truth is we've all got our reasons. We've all got reasons if we really wanted to talk about it today where we would try to tell you, here's, here's why I feel like God wouldn't want me sometimes. Right? And it goes like this, because I'm part of a church and, and because I lead a life group and because I've been saved for this long and because I'm a parent and because I'm an adult and because I ought to be better than this by now. We've all got our reasons why at times we would go, I bet that's why God's fed up. I bet that's why God's done with me. And what he said to me was, he goes, okay, well, why don't we go look up all the verses on grace and mercy and forgiveness and unconditional love and see if any of them end with, unless you're a pastor. See, you could do the same thing, couldn't you? Go read those verses and see if any of them end with, unless you're an adult, unless you're part of a church, unless you're in a group, unless people in your family look up to you as the Christian in the family. Like, we've all got our reasons. He said, see, you've got an inaccurate picture of the Father because if you understood his grace and love and mercy and actually accepted it, you would have less fear and worry and anxiety because you'd know who God is and that he's never left you, never will forsake you, that he's got you, that he's with you. It's not just something to talk about. It's actually your reality. If you understood what the Father thought of you, what other people think of you wouldn't be so important. You've got an inaccurate view of the Father and it's got to change. And it got me thinking, maybe a bunch of you have some of the same problems I do and maybe for a bunch of us, we need to get a better picture. We need to get a better picture of our heavenly father. And so if you have your Bible, flip open to Luke chapter 15, because Luke chapter 15, it's interesting. He told me, he goes, he goes, you love that story of the prodigal son. You tell me it's your favorite story. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, the father in that story now needs to become your lie detector test. And when you mess up, or when you feel guilt, or when you feel shame, or when you feel less than, or when you don't feel worthy, when you're trying to figure out what does the Father think of me? What is the Father's response to me right now? If it does not line up with the Father in this story, then it is not the truth, and you need to start to discipline your thoughts and discipline your feelings, hold them accountable to the Word of God. Stop focusing on the lies, focus on the truth, get a better picture. So I'm going to read a little bit of Luke 15, and because in this story, Jesus says, let me tell you what the father's like. Let me show you what the picture in your mind ought to be. Now, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we're talking about a story that's famously known as the prodigal son. It's really a story about a dad and two sons, but we've just heard it called that for so long. That's kind of what we think. In this story, the younger son goes to his dad, says, I want one third of your estate, all my inheritance. I want it now. Everybody who's listening to the story knows that the father should have sent him away, never to let him return. But this father gives him a third of the estate and he takes it and he squanders it on wild living. He starts partying 
and he blows a third of what his father has spent a lifetime building. And then he ends up foodless and homeless and jobless and penniless, and he's sleeping and living outside, eating pig food to stay alive. And all of a sudden, this thought hits him. It's, it's a thought that almost every single one of us would go, I've had that thought. I remember the day. Some of you are dealing with it now. I wonder if I actually went back to the Father, if my life would be better. I don't have to live this way. And I realize I'm separated from the Father. I think I need to go back. That's what he, that's what he starts, to start, starts thinking. All right, so let's pick it up. In verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up. And he went to his father. He starts thinking, I think I need the, the, the father. But there's not a chance in the world he lets me back in the house. There's not a chance in the world he lets me back in the family. There's not a chance in the world he'll accept me after everything I've done. Because how many chances do I get? Because like us, he has an inaccurate view of the father in his mind. So all he can fathom is, you just let me be like one of those servants who don't live on the property, who just come on the property to work. They, they go out into the fields, usually barefoot, and they work all day long just for enough money to buy food to stay alive. I'll ask him if I can do that. And so with this inaccurate view of the father, he heads home. And here's how he's received. This one verse, verse 20 I hope this helps you begin to get a new picture, a better picture, if you need it today, of the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Would you guys leave that verse up for just a minute? I want to talk about four different aspects of that one verse that begins to redefine what the picture in our mind about our heavenly father ought to look like. The first thing it says that I want, I want to focus on is while he was still a long way off. You know why the father saw the son when he was a long way off? Because he was looking. Because he couldn't wait for his son to come home. Because he wasn't sitting inside in the recliner having fake conversations like, I'll tell you what, I know that boy will end up home. And when he does, oh, we're going to have a talk. No, he was outside constantly looking up going, could this be the day that my son returns? Because he never gave up on him. Get this. He never stopped loving him. He never stopped believing in him. He never stopped hoping that this might be the moment that my boy comes home. He saw him a long way off because that's where he was looking. Because he never gave up on him. And I thought, well, why, why do we get this same thought that he had when we're distant from the father of, if I go back, I'm going to get folded arms, crossed arms, angry dad. I'm going to get the, yeah, we'll talk when you get home tonight, dad. Well, we, we assume that's going to happen with God because that's kind of how it works with almost everyone else in the world. That's why we assume that's how it's going to work because that's how it happens with our dads. 
See, some of you didn't have a dad. Some of you would have been better off without a dad. Some of you had a dad who hurt instead of protected. Some of you had a dad that was there but not there. Some of you had amazing men. Some of you had a dad who one of the most important things in his life was being a dad. And he was trying really hard and he was really great. But the problem is he's still human and flawed. And see, I know that game because it's one of the most important things to me in this world is being a dad. And I love it. And, and like this week, I, I, I pulled up to the church and I was texting with my oldest son, Ethan, and I was mad at him. And I literally sent the text, we'll talk when you get home. And then I walked into my office and started reading this. And in the text message, I told him, he actually texted me back and he texted me back and he's like, am I grounded? And I texted him back, yup. Y-U-P, yup. And then I go in my office and I start reading this and I start feeling awful about myself and I text myself. He's real lucky we're doing a series on the prodigal son right now and I'm studying the grace of the father, see? So I text him back and I go, hey, I've reconsidered. You're not grounded. What did I say? I said, you're not grounded. Oh, I've decided to be gracious. That's what I said. Had I let... I don't tell him I'm reading this. I'm just like, I'm just that good. Had I left it at that, like I win. But you know what I did? I put, I've reconsidered, you're not grounded. I want to be gracious. And then I put dot, dot, dot. But I'm still angry. (laughs) And ruined the whole thing. I couldn't help myself. And I actually told him, we'll talk when you get home. Well, that's why we feel that way about going to God. That's why the son feels this way. But understand this. You've got a heavenly father who no matter how long it's been, whether you need to come home for the first time or you need to come home today for the 10,000th time, he's looking over the horizon and he's going, I can't wait. Could this be the day that my child comes back? I've never given up on you. And I, you couldn't lose my love if you tried. That's the God we have. Let's keep reading it. Would you throw it up there one more time? But he was, while he was a long way off, still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. You have a God who hurts when you hurt. You have a father who laughs when you laugh, rejoices when you rejoice, and cries when you cry. Think about the story of Jesus, some of you that have been around church for a while, with Lazarus. He knew he was going to bring him back to life. But when his sisters were crying, when they were hurting over the fact that he was in a tomb, what did, he, what did Jesus do? Some of you know, because you've memorized the shortest verse in the Bible. He wept. That's it. You want to memorize a verse today? You got it. You can leave church today going, I just memorizing some scripture. <laughs> he wept. He knew he was going to fix The problem, he knew it was going to be better and he still wept. Why? Because when we hurt, he hurts. When we cry, he cries. When we rejoice, he rejoices. I was talking to Jill. We were engaged and and we were having a conversation and and I said something to Jill and uh, I don't have a good memory. I can barely remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but like I'd never forgotten this one thing she said to me because it was so true and so profound. Uh, we, We were engaged and I was telling her like, You know, it wasn't all that long ago that my life was a disaster. 
and, and, and I was abusing narcotics and I was suicidal and I was always crying to God, like, if you're real, how come you've let this happen in my life? And he's like, I didn't cause you to do that, but I guess I'll keep taking the heat, you know, but like, I'm crying to God, like, why don't you care? And why aren't you with me? And why isn't this my life? And I don't get it. And, and I didn't want to live anymore. And I, I said to Jill, I said, he must've been laughing the whole time. Cause like he knew how it was going to turn out. He knew I was going to experience life with him and his Holy Spirit was going to begin to live inside me and it was going to change my entire life and he knew I was going to meet you and, and now I'm, I'm going to be married to the woman of my dreams and like, I bet he was laughing the whole time. And Jill just goes, because she understands the character of God better than me. She goes, no, I don't think he was laughing. She goes, I bet he was crying with you. And it's true. You need to see that because here's what you feel sometimes. I know because this is what I feel sometimes. Like he'll just tolerate me and he's got to be sick and tired of my whining and my crying. And no, no, no. You have a father that hurts when you hurt. Poor Ethan, my oldest son, he was sitting on the front row. What's up, Oz? Love you, homie. My other son's sitting around the front row tonight. Church, can you give it up for Austin, the man? What's up, Brock? So... My, my poor oldest son, Ethan, was sitting on the front row last service, and I was just hammering him. And get this, I'm going to tell this story. And I told it last service, and he was with his girlfriend. <laughs> Made it even better. But in kindergarten, he had a crush on a girl. Well, she broke his heart. So he's telling me and Jill. And me and Jill are looking at each other, and like tears are welling up in our eyes over this kindergarten love gone bad. <laughs> now... As a dad, did I know he's probably going to get over this? Yeah. Did I know that there's probably going to be a day when he's 16 and he doesn't even remember it? Yeah. Which begs the question, why do we do so many great things for our children when they're really little and they don't remember any of it? I wish I'd have taken my parenting down a few notches till they were like 10. I'm just saying to you new parents, something to consider. He won't even remember it. Me and Jill cried over it. He doesn't remember it happened. We knew he was going to get over it. Why did we get so upset? Because he's our child and we hurt when he hurts. You have a father that laughs when you laugh, that cries when you cries and hurts when you hurt. You got to get a better picture. You got a great dad. He was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son. And as soon as Jesus said this in the story, everybody listening, at least the religious people, if you missed week one of this series, you got to go back. Ronnie did an amazing job of really helping us understand who was listening to this story when Jesus told it. And, and one of the groups listening was, was a bunch of religious people. They would have been able to quote the first five books of our Bible. All right. Now, so, so, so they knew when Jesus said this Jewish patriarch father ran, they would all be like, what? No, 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 that a Jewish patriarch father wouldn't run in this day and age. Women and children would run. Men, dignified men who had an estate would never reach down, pull up their robes, show their legs and begin to run. They considered it humiliating. So as soon as Jesus said, this dad's running, everybody listened was kind of like, what? And Jesus was showing them he was running. The father was running to the son with joy and to protect. Theologian after theologian talks about this story. And every time it's the same, that because of what happened when he got to his son, they know what was happening during the run to his son. And he was running with joy. 
Some of you don't want to go back to the Father for the first time, maybe, or, you, or, or Christians, we tippy-toe around God and we come to church and sing the songs, but we don't actually spend time with him during the week because in our heart of hearts, we believe he probably doesn't want to be with me right now because look what I've just done again. And he probably won't want me and he'll probably be angry and he's probably got his arms folded because he's really starting to get fed up right? You got to get a better picture because this father on the heels of this boy's worst mistakes of his entire life, this father runs to him with this smile going ear to ear, almost a giddy laugh with his arms wide open, running to his son with joy. Oh, if you can start to get a better picture, if you could picture what if on your worst day at your low, when you're feeling the most guilt, the most condemnation, the most I'm just not worthy of the father. What if on those days you didn't picture an angry father, but you pictured a father running to you with this ear to ear smile, running to you with arms wide open, full of joy. It'll change what we'll take to our father, won't it? It'll change what we'll trust him with. It'll change so many areas of our life if we could just get a picture that's actually biblical of how God responds to us, even on our worst days. It'll change the game. Would you put that verse back up one more time? He ran to his son. Oh, sorry, I almost forgot. He ran to him with joy, but also to protect. See, this group, because they could quote the first five books of our Bible, they knew Deuteronomy. They could quote it. And it talks about if a son does what this son did and rebels against his father in that way, he is never allowed to return. They knew it. They knew the law. Can't return. And if he tries to return, the law says everybody from the village goes out, especially the men would go out, meet him at the edge of town and actually stone him to death. That's the law. So it starts to give you a picture of why the dad was also running. Because he knows I got to be the first one to get to my son. Because I'm not going to let him experience what the law says should happen. See, I'm going to provide a way for him to escape what the law says should happen and be forgiven when he shouldn't be forgiven. And so he runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and everybody watching and everybody that would hear about it knows. Here's what the dad is saying to everybody else. You want to hurt my boy? You're going to have to go through me. He's running to protect his son. Oh, if, you, if we could get this picture. It'll change the way we start to interact with our father. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is a, I'm going to lavish my love on you. I'm going to make sure you understand that you are welcome, and that you are loved, and that you are accepted, and that you are valued. With the hug and the kiss, he's saying, you're not just tolerated, you're loved and you're liked. You're welcome and you're wanted. And see, we know the difference, don't we? I talked to a pastor recently who said, I, I know God loves me. I can't figure out why he would like me. I can't figure out why he would want me or be proud of me. There's a difference, isn't there? This father is saying, I don't just love you. I like you. I want you here. At this wedding I was telling you that we went to, me and, me and my wife were driving home. And, and I mean, talk about, romantic opportunity, okay? We're in another state, California to be exact. It was beautiful. We have a hotel and no children. And we were just at a wedding. I mean, 
talk about this. Romance is at an all-time high. We're driving back to the hotel. All I need to do is shut my mouth. But no, I pick a fight on the way back to the hotel. Ruin all my chances. We sat in the parking lot and talked for hours. It was fantastic. And as we were walking into the hotel, my wife looks at me and she said, do you love me? And I went, you know I do. Of course I love you. And she goes, but do you like me? We feel that difference, don't we? This father wants the son to understand, I don't just love you because I have to. No, I actually really like you. I want you. You're welcome here. I'm going to show you with my actions. You're my son. Welcome home. He goes above and beyond, doesn't he? And, and the problem, though, is, is we sort of respond the same way this son does. Put up that next verse. The son said to him, Father, I can't. I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He comes up with his own reason as to why the father wouldn't want him. The same way we do. And the father says, no, 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 no. I'm changing the picture in your mind. You've got me painted all wrong. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He says, no, you don't understand. I'm not what you expected. And he says, quick. I love that he starts that whole thing off with, hey, right now, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes, get the calf. Let's go. Here's what, here's, here's what we're supposed to get from this, I think. You may feel distant from God today. And maybe it's happened over a few days. Maybe it's a few weeks or months. Maybe for you, it's been the greater part of your life. Here's what you need to understand. Distance may happen over years, but forgiveness and restoration with the Father is instantaneous. Right now, quick, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes. He said, get the best robe. That would have been the Father's robe. That's what he's saying. Yes, you are dirty right now. And you have this guilt and this shame all over you. That's why you're saying, I'll just be a servant. That's why you're saying, I can't accept your love. So I'm putting my robe around you to signify righteousness. You are now perfectly clean. You are perfect in my sight. It's the same thing our heavenly father says to us today because of what Jesus did on the cross. When you repent of your sins, you're purified from all unrighteousness, right? When you repent, how's that, how's that verse go, Scott? I can't think of it. When you repent of your sins, he forgives your sins and purifies you from all unrighteousness. That's it. That's what he does. And that's available to every single one of us. That's that robe. No, no, no. You are not what you've done. You are my child. That's who you are. You're a king's kid. You're an heir to the throne. And you're perfectly righteous in my sight. Enjoy it. Welcome home, bud. That's what he says. He says, get the ring. That would have had the family crest on it, like a signet ring. It's a sign of authority. You don't earn back my love. You just have it. You don't earn back my trust. You don't earn the right to be in this house because of what I am doing, because of my power. You now have full authority in this house. Get the ring. Get the shoes. People who can't live in the house wouldn't have shoes. People who have to work for the father 
wouldn't have shoes. Father says, no, you get shoes. And every time you see him, you remember who you are. You're my child. I don't love you and accept you and welcome you and value you because of anything you ever do or anything you don't ever don't do. It's because of who you are. You're my boy. Don't you forget it. Get the sandals. And then he says, get that fattened calf. Guys, this is the Ephesians 3.20 part of the whole thing. This is that my God can do things in me that I could never ask, think, or imagine according to his power that is at work within me. Think about this. All this kid could fathom in his mind is I won't be a son. I won't live at the house. I'll be a hired servant who won't even stay on property. And dad says, no, no, no. We're actually getting the fattened calf out. And see, if, if you study history, most people back then would live their whole lives and never get to taste the fattened calf. Only, only the, the elite would have such things. And it would be so priceless, it would be so precious that if they were to actually kill the fattened calf for a meal, they would invite the whole village. Like it would be the party of all parties. And the father says, no, you're not gonna sneak your way back in here. You're not gonna work for anything around this house. In fact, we're gonna throw a party like we've never thrown before. And you're not gonna sneak into this party. You're gonna be the guest of honor at this party. Welcome home, son. And they began to celebrate. That's Ephesians 3.20. And, and I was thinking about this this week. I'm like, that's what I'm living. Like, I remember sitting in a service just like this. Going, I, this is my moment, man. I need God. And I was a wreck. And all I could do was think about all the reasons why he wouldn't want me. And I remember thinking if, if he would just accept me. Like, I don't, I don't want anything other than like, if I could just get these suicidal thoughts out of my head. If I could just want to live and maybe not go to hell. Like that's all I could fathom. And then he gives me the Holy Spirit to live inside of me that starts to change every aspect of my life from the inside out. I had no idea the calling he was going to have on my life. I didn't know about Jill or Ethan or Austin or Ashton or this church. I didn't know that there'd be a day when I stand on a stage and get to talk with our church family about how good our father is. Like it's Ephesians 3.20. It's more than I could ever ask or imagine. And that's the father saying, look, when you decide to come home, you're not getting angry dad with his arms folded, ready for a scolding. You're getting, no, I run to you with this giddy smile on my face because I've been waiting for you because I love you. I've been watching for you. I've never stopped loving you. I'll come and protect you. I'll change you. I'll restore you. You get that father. And when we start to get that picture in our minds, it changes things. We shot some footage trying to interpret this story in a modern day scenario years ago, and we just can't quit watching it. Corey wrote a new song to go with some of it, but we brought it out of the archives, and the truth is it'll be new for a whole bunch of you, but, but our, our, our hope is, is as you see this, would you just say, God, speak to me about me right now, me and you, how you see me and how you feel about me. Would you give me a better picture. Watch this.
Spare me from your pain You think that you're the one to fix it
Would you stand up with me at all locations? I think one of the most tragic things when it comes to us and God is when us as the children, we get this bad picture of the Father and then we avoid coming to Him and we miss out on everything He's got for us and and over here is our Father and He's going, I've given you everything. I've given you everything. My son died on a cross so that you would feel confident enough to come to me. And so that when you do, I could place that robe of righteousness over you, make you perfect in my sight. So, so who is God? He's this father. He's full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And he can't wait to be with you. He's never stopped loving you. He's never stopped believing in you. He's never stopped hoping for you to return. And that second you say, okay, he's this dad that doesn't stay with his arms folded and says, come make it up to me. Come make it right. Come get your life sorted out. No, he he runs to you with this smile and this joy and he wraps his arms around you to protect you and to welcome you and to love you and to forgive you and to restore you. And who are you? You're the recipient of all that. When we understand who our God is and who we are in Christ because of it, it changes everything. And I believe there's some of you that you're hearing this for the very first time and you're going, I need this. This is what I've been needing my whole life. I thought he didn't want me. So I've been acting like I didn't want him. And some of you, you need to return to the father for the thousandth time, whatever it is. And you've been tiptoeing around God because you thought he's just fed up and disappointed. And the truth is, he can't wait to welcome you back. Sometimes we just need to get a better picture. And listen, if the picture you have of your father is not consistent with what we see in Luke 15, then discipline your thoughts discipline your feelings, hold them accountable to the truth of the word of God. Stop focusing on the lies, start focusing on the truth and allow your father to love you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you're with us in this moment. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your unbelievable, unconditional love that we can't hardly fathom and that it doesn't even usually make sense. And so God, in this moment, as, as flawed children, would you help us to grasp on to a little bit more of your love right now? Would you help us to get a better picture, a truer picture of who you are as our loving, forgiving, gracious, heavenly father? In fact, with everyone's eyes closed, let me just ask two questions and give you a chance to respond to what God might be doing. The, the first one is this. You are a Christ follower. Maybe you have been for years. But the truth is you struggle with this and you know it. You come up with way more reasons why God wouldn't want you than reasons why he would. And you have a hard time coming to the father and being loved by him 
Because like the son in that story, you just don't feel worthy. And today you just go, God, that's got to change for me. Would you give me a better picture? Would you help me to just receive your love? If that's you, raise your hand. I'm just going to say a prayer for you. A whole bunch of us. The second question is this. You don't have a relationship with the Father. But you know right now it's time. You can feel it. You may not be able to explain what's happening, but you know something's happening. That's the creator of the universe right now calling you, lovingly calling you into relationship with him. And you just know like, this is my moment. I need to ask him to repent. I need to repent of my sins. I wanna ask him to be the Lord of my life. You say, God, I'm not gonna be perfect. I don't know how this is gonna work out, but I can feel it in my heart. This is my moment. I wanna follow you. God, would you forgive me of my sins? I wanna start a relationship with you. If that's you right now, raise your hand. I'm gonna say a prayer for you. Raise them up high. Oh, praise God. Hands all over the place. Brussels, raise them up. God behind bars, campuses, raise them up. Some of you may be watching or listening somewhere by yourself. You can respond to God in your own words. Every single one of you, as we sing this last song, there's no magical prayer. You respond to God in your own words. Say, God, I want to repent of my sins. I'm sorry. I want to start this life with you. And according to the word of God, as of today, you are saved. You are crossing over from death into life, and it's worth celebrating. God, I pray for everyone that raised their hand and said they want to experience your love on a deeper level right now, that they have a hard time. God, my heart breaks because I understand that feeling more than I'd like to admit. And so, God, I pray right now that you would just take down some walls, that you would free some of us up, that you would allow us to actually just experience and feel your love. And when we don't feel it, that we would be reminded that we're not loved because we feel it. We're loved because you said it and your word trumps our feelings. And God, I pray that we stand on the truth today and let you love us. And I thank you for the eternal lives that are being changed all across this room and many other rooms all over the world right now, even on the other side of the ocean, I thank you for the life change that's happening, the eternal life change that's happening right now. In Jesus' name, God, it is our honor now to worship you with music. And everybody said, amen. Come on, church, let's worship.